You're listening to the Blockchain Socialist Podcast. I am Josh and I am here in Istanbul, Turkey, where I am currently in the middle of uh, going to different events for DevConnect. Um, I was also at another event before this called Zoo Connect, which was an offshoot or kind of spin-off of Zuzalu, which was the event uh, in Montenegro that Primavera and I went to uh, where we were able to have time to kind of dig into our new conceptual framework for coordinations as an alternative to network states. Um, but so I came to Zoo Connect in order to do a panel. Uh, specifically, this panel, the, the title was something along the lines of uh, When to Unplug. Mm -hmm. So it was meant to be a panel on uh, when not to use technology. Uh, so it was a really fun panel. Hopefully, by the time this podcast comes out, I can find a link uh, to that panel to share with people. Um, but so I wanted to uh, have on uh, Afra Wong on the podcast. Uh, she is a Chinese diaspora uh, journalist um, because she's also one of the people who helped organize Zoo Connect uh, and the day that, that I was involved in for Decentralized Social was the theme. Um, but so, yeah, maybe before I keep rambling, um, Afra, would you like to give a quick introduction to yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, really uh, honored to be in your podcast, Josh. I've been uh, listening to some of your episodes, you know, since um, I joined the space last year. Um, so it's pretty surreal to be in the same space with you recording this podcast. Um, yeah, a little bit of introduction about myself. My name is Afra Wen. Um, I was an in-house journalist as well as a content product person for two mobile news app, you know, does AI uh, news recommendation to people uh, based in Silicon Valley for about three years. And then uh, around a year and a half ago, I joined Crypto. Um, and um, me as a Chinese Im immigrant in California, I've been living in the U.S. for more than a decade. Um, so like just bringing this really like bilingual, bicultural uh, background delve into crypto. Uh, I've been really like observing different groups interacting uh, under the concept of, you know, uh, free uh free money, oh, sorry, not free money, like, but this like sort of uh, cryptocurrency, which can enhance your like uh, self-sovereignty. Uh, yeah, and I got involved in uh, Zoo Connect as one of the uh, theme curators or uh, organizers where I organized a day called Decentralized Social Day on November 7th, where I invited Josh uh, to moderating a panel called uh, when to unplug social connection from physical to digital, uh, where the, um, you know, some also really active members like uh, Jenny and, and, and Noah uh, was involved to talk about, uh, you know, how to sort of organize uh, a coherent uh, a physical experience when everyone is uh, in, in, especially in the crypto space, are hyper digitized. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, and that for for that panel, I think just to, to share with people, um, <laughs> I think one of the one of the things that I wanted to do was kind of uh, help, you know, crypto people who are oftentimes very very um, they, they default often to using digital technology as the answer to everything. Yeah. <laughs> we find that often. Yeah. And I think there is a, a kind of a pretty high rate of kind of like addiction to digital platforms, tools, computers, phones, etc. Um, that is kind of, I, I think, 
for, for many reasons, part of that is that crypto markets are 24-7. So yes. a lot of people are constantly looking at prices and markets. And then there's also a bit of like a... Uh, crypto Twitter or like these certain platforms are are important for different uh, narratives within the crypto space and like trying to react to certain things at a certain points. Like um, people are always kind of like on wanting to know what is like current latest edge of like the informational landscape. I guess you can say. Um, so in the beginning of the panel, I forced everyone to turn off their phones. That was great. That was that was great. That's really memorable. That's even I asked a lot of participants. They said that was the most memorable moment of that day. So thank you, Josh, for letting us get off the phone for fifteen minutes. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I, I was like, we're not starting this panel until everyone turns off their phones. Um, I, yeah, I just felt that like if we were going to discuss, you know, critically when we're supposed to use technology and not when we wanted to enhance our social relationships and when is it a bad idea to use technology to enhance, to, to try to enhance our relationships, um, we need to, like, people cannot be looking at their phones <laughs> at the same time or else the entire message is completely lost. <laughs> yeah, true. I, I find the crypto community is the most formal community mm. that I've ever seen. Like, I've been living my entire life digitally, to be honest. You know, had my first personal computer very early on. My dad, you know, uh, got one for the family. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just like delving into crypto, I was absolutely overwhelmed by the amount of information. Not just, you know, the mark the market, the 24-7 market, but also the trends, the cool things, right? What, what are the latest memes? The latest memes will make you funnier, cooler, <laughs> and, you know, in a sense, like more lovable by the community and in a sense, more information you can learn about different communities, right? And, and uh, community means people, people means projects, and projects means uh, things can, can give you a lot of either profits or, right. or you know, some upsides. Um, yeah, but like um, um, uh, that, that panel, uh, when I was writing about the introduction, uh, I remember there's a, a line I wrote uh, where is, you know, previously when we we're talking about uh, going online, it means escape from reality. Right. But right now when we're trying to escape from reality, we unplug from yes. whatever is online. We yeah. put our phone down. We, we go to the nature. <laughs> <laughs> we tell people, be like, I'm going to away from keyboard for this next yeah. couple hours. Yeah, and and um and crypto is, you know, naturally a a a a space where a lot of conferences, a lot of interactions happen. You exchange with someone with your Instagram uh or Telegram handle and then you you, you, you sort of like complete this transactional interaction and that's it. And I think one of the reasons why Zuzalu was uh, initiated or established by Vitalik was because uh, uh, this thousand people going into a big venue, exchange their <laughs> telegram and chat for 15 minutes was too tiring for many people. So he was like, oh, why not? I just put 200 um, highly um, innovative uh, smart crypto people into the same space, but like you know, those two hundred people are sort of from different domains, and then they can cross pollinate and also eat breakfast together and <laughs> unplug together. So I think that's initially uh, what Zulalu uh, comes up comes around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think there. Yeah, it's like if you get because the the community is so uh, globalized, like, and most people don't live next to their crypto friends oftentimes I see because so many people are, are digital nomads or whatever else um, they don't have the opportunity to kind of like sit down and be face to face 
if they're doing work or something like that, if they want to do work, they have to be on the computer. Um, that's sort of like a, a default. So getting people together is one way to kind of like reduce perhaps the 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 dependence on you know digital technology for communication. Um, and then as well, I think there is. I think that's why. I think this is another reason that I'm starting to realize maybe partially why people became interested in like the network state stuff and all these things and. Um, because it 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 tells people that we can you know find find your find find your clan or your group or whatever else and then um, who are all online and then bring them in a physical space and just live next to each other and everyone loves that idea of like oh I would love to like live with all my best friends you know like <laughs> it's it, like and, it, and then it, it start is a nice. bookstore <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> <An> ultimate dream <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah so yeah so that's why I think we 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 touched on on network state stuff in the panel as well. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, one of the things that I wanted to, to bring you on for though, uh, to talk, cause we talked a lot during, during Zoo Connect was about your kind of perspective or experience from like, uh, from the Chinese point of view, because yeah. it's oftentimes, um, yeah, a lot of crypto is spoken about from a very Western point of view, from a very American or European point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it'd be good to have someone on who is able to share their own experience and thoughts on that. Um, so maybe we can start off with like, what is the, like, what is it that you find perhaps that makes crypto interesting from uh, a mm-hmm. Chinese point of view? Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of Chinese point of view, I want to maybe make this perspective a little bit more nuanced. Although I hate this word nuanced, um, but yeah, there's some complexity of uh, my my position. Uh, I uh, started to live in the U.S. since twenty uh, twenty twelve, um, and educated. Uh, worked sort of trained in the U.S. So like naturally I was in the space I was seen as a sort of this cultural bridge between people who are solely, you know, working in crypto in China or in Asia in general and people who, you know, are working in quote unquote the Western, you know, crypto space. A lot of people see me as a bridge, see me as a a connector. Um, And I do have a, uh, being like observing how both communities um, thrive, evolve, and 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 clash in a sense. Um, so China, China has a long history with cryptography, um, as well as you know cryptocurrency. Um, so China in the early days. Um, of Bitcoin, there's a, a big Bitcoin community in China at, at the time where you know the Chinese tech scene was really uh, prosperous as well, and uh, a lot of Chinese investors, many many of them are practical, are drawn into the uh, you know the potential for high returns on uh, the cryptocurrency investment, and a lot of the really famous exchanges uh, emerged uh, during the time from. 2013 to 2017, you know, the, the big ones like OKX, uh, you know, um, and Huobi uh, were all, you know, the, the really uh, f- uh, known ones. Right. And um, you also have Binance as well, which is Yeah, right, Binance as well, uh, by Zhao Changpeng, CZ, yeah. um, who, you know, from like many 
Chinese entrepreneur's perspective, CZ, although you know educated in, in Canada, um, is indeed very Chinese. A mm. Chinese person using WeChat, right? Uh, right. Um, writing articles in China, speak absolutely fluent Mandarin, and like he's like no difference than the uh, person who you know grew up and, and does everything in China. So yeah, CZ, uh, another example, Justin Sun, of course. Yeah. Uh, the, Super famous hustler and uh, <laughs> thank God you know meme generator <laughs> for Ethereum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and then yeah, uh, since 2017, you see this um, a big crackdown in in a sense that the Chinese government doesn't see itself to regulate cryptocurrency. Um, and then in uh, 2021, there's another wave of crack crackdown where uh, Chinese government banned crypto mining in China. So I was in China at the time. Uh, It was also during COVID. So it's like a layer of surrealism, another layer of surrealism where you (laughs) see um, like the mining machines in, you know, Xinjiang province, in many, many provinces in China were being removed. Uh, The the cables, the electric electric cables were cut, were cut down. Like you just see like thousands of machines abandoned crypto mining machine uh, piled on the abandoned you know playground and then like uh, photographers when they're took photographs and uh, you know still like a lot of great um, uh, materials for journalism exist somewhere in in, in internet I think a lot of people have seen that like video of you know the the giants I don't even know what the thing is called but like like, that just like flattens all of this huge pile of uh, yeah of ASICs machines. Yeah. yeah. And it was used a lot for, I mean, yeah, a lot of, uh, used propagandistically by, yeah. uh, for the crypto people. Yeah. <laughs> for Bitcoiners especially. Exactly. So, you know, in a sense, China incubated mm. cryptocurrency. Um, and still, mm. like, the most of the mining machines were produced in China. Yeah. Uh, most of the mining uh, uh, infrastructures were established in China. Um, and China still has a big amount of population who were in like the earlier waves of of cryptocurrency. Um, and on top of everything, I think not just crypto space, but the entire world uh, and people inside China, outside of China, are like the fact that we're all dealing with is a, a China that's uh, been drifting away from rest of the world, a China that's closing off, a China that's no longer telling the world that oh we're open up for foreign inv- direct investment, or like that that China is like gone. You know, mm. the Olympic China, the cool China is gone. The mm. China who says I'm gonna open my door to welcome the foreign visitors to come to my living room and I'm gonna serve them teas. Like that China is already gone. So the whole world, no matter who you are, you're gonna deal with this. Uh, and this is, you know, uh, the history of China with cryptocurrency, basically. <laughs> yeah, and then like we can maybe talk about what about those people who are involved in yeah. crypto in China? What yeah. what they're gonna do? Well, just to, maybe to to double check, like the mm. um, uh, from what I understood, at least previously, that a lot of the crackdowns happened specifically for mining. That was like the big the big thing, but then. I don't know what is the current states right now. Are people allowed in China to hold or purchase cryptocurrency? Is that fine? So, namely, ICO is banned in 2017, like right. any initial coin offering. That's um, same in like 
other countries other as countries. well, but uh, yeah, yeah, how strictly they do it is something else. Right, and then um, that became illegal in 2017, and then in 2021, mining became illegal, and uh, namely, exchange by or trade cryptocurrency shouldn't somehow be allowed in China、mm-hmm. as well,、um, and then that's why some, you know, Chinese entrepreneurs who initiated their coins before all fleet left China,、mm-hmm. or they don't feel safe anymore. And I'm pretty sure there's like somewhere there's a spreadsheet、um, <laughs> in some agency, government agency, channel, like locally and nationally.、Um, there are like a list of people who should be <laughs> target next. And、mm. I I do know like because those, there are people who have a lot of cryptocurrency because people are deemed rich.、Mm. Um, maybe from a local government official's perspective, my KPI this year is to. Gain this amount of money for this my local government, and if I do not have enough, like maybe like tax um, collected, um, my next thing will be probably go to the spreadsheet and see who should I to go after,、mm. so I can I can、um, I can complete my KPI that that year. So yeah, I mean I'm pretty sure like just、uh, knowing like how Chinese、uh, government in different levels operates.、Um, There must be a spreadsheet somewhere has like list of crypto rich,、mm. yeah, in、Locals. China, yeah. But so then I imagine still people. Is it that like Huobi or these exchanges are blocked? They are. They all you know, namely left China.、Mm-hmm. So they're like now either like they're probably they're headquartered outside of China. Yeah, they headquartered、sure. outside of China.、Um, But can the mainland Chinese person living in mainland China access the website to? Buy Ethereum or something. Yeah, so this is like a, a super super great Zoom.、Okay. Like, are, are am I allowed to use Twitter or Google when I'm physically inside mainland China? No, I'm not allowed. It's、right. because it's but everybody uses by, but VPNs kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's namely banned by the Chinese law as well as the Great Firewall.、Mm-hmm. I'm definitely not allowed to check my.、Um, someone's、uh, shit post on Twitter when I'm you know eating you know. Anything in Beijing, right? Namely, not allowed. But can I do it? Yes, sure. Of course, I can. I can just use VPN and、yeah. trick the system, saying I'm in Malaysia, and I can check all that shit post on Twitter.、Right? <laughs> um, so, similarly,、um, like when you want to purchase cryptocurrency in this exchange, are you allowed? Not really. But can you do it? Yes, of course. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I I, I went to China. In 2012, actually, because、um, my my older brother、uh, lived there for a very long time,、um, and I remember him showing me like how he checked his Facebook by using a VPN. Yeah, and did all that. Yeah. yeah, I mean things went on really fast. I have I remember when my dad got his Nokia 790 or Nokia 970. They're still pre-installed Facebook in that Nokia. Mm. That was like 2009, and then in, in 2012, Google was banned、mm-hmm. in China,、um, and then you know just things start to decline ever since. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a yeah. I I have a bit of a spicy take that like,、mm, uh, I think from a Western point of view that can look like very, it can look very authoritarian,、mm. but I think it ended up being. 
now China does have like its own tech industry, whereas I think, uh, and and it has basically it was a geopolitical move to essentially ban American uh, and outsider like these different tech companies because then America or potential enemies would have like full access to the information of Chinese citizens, which could be quite dangerous. But it is like a, a tough situation then if you are in between these two countries, you have to deal with basically a, a splintered internet. Yeah, for me as someone who grew up in a fairly open age in China, um, this tech divergence simply caused more ideological divergence. Um, my cousin, for example, who is maybe 10 years younger than me, uh, certainly like is not as informed as I am because I like growing up I was able to read a lot of Wikipedia. I was uh, I was I was able to read The Economist when I need to study English. Um but my cousin and her generation um is comparably more nationalistic. Mm-hmm. Uh you know she would say something like um you know, Jie Jie, I mean, sister, uh, is, you know, is Japanese people all like this bad? You know, like the, they're, they're educated in a very like insular environment where mm. uh, having some autonomy to read free information became increasingly hard for them, although they have a lot of access to, uh, to smartphones. Mm. Uh, so that's a very sad truth. So that's why like uh, my peers and I uh, have often um, speak about this, uh, this deeming reality where we could be the last quote unquote free generation in China. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So you find that a lot of the kind of, do you think a lot of the Chinese diaspora community in crypto are more or less a lot of people from this generation of people or this, this age of, uh, yeah, they're from this age where China, uh, was more open, and of course, the entire nation, entire multiple generations benefited from this openness, not only economically, but uh, you know, education-wise, uh, ideologically, um, technologically as well, right? Like a lot mm-hmm. of people in China, like you know, for example, my company, uh, you know, the, the the technologists in my company who wanted to do technology, who wanted to build products that's. That's like somehow anti-Facebook, anti-Twitter, anti-monopoly is because they, they certainly benefited from the decentralized technology when they grow up, mm-hmm. right? Um, so yeah, that's definitely like um, an age which is somehow um, only lives in our memory. In, in, uh, right. Yeah. It's, from my understanding, yeah, it's sort of like, uh, especially since COVID, it has uh Increased a lot, yeah. Um, and it's perhaps, I mean, it's 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 to, to me, it's a, it's a symbol of of a couple of different things. One is, of course, this narrative of like we're entering into a multipolar world, where now uh, I guess China has less dependence on uh, American capital and American tech. Mm. That I think now it doesn't, it can close off. Um, and so, and the U.S. is, of course, I think, like kind of scrambling to kind of figure out how to keep its hegemony in many ways. Um, and so, but it is, you know, it's hard to be in the middle of this whole thing. Like, what 
what do you do? You don't necessarily want to take a side in this like uh, this type of in this type of world. Um, it's like a very uh, tough position to always be in, where you know look to your left and it's like oh those <laughs> those freaks, and you look to your right like oh those guys, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I think before the year of 2022, which you know, 2022 maybe marked the the moment, the year that you you gotta choose. Meaning, if you want to stay in China or you you get the fuck out of it, right. like 2022, like during the massive city lockdowns where. Um, people see how the government treated its people by putting them into this massive uh, sort of like internment camp uh, style, uh, uh, you know, hospitals or places where you can somehow get quarantined um, and some other very extreme measures to to keep people from getting sick. But ended up uh, the whole policy was executed extremely messy. Uh, Many people died uh, from this, uh, you know, semi-detention. Many people died from uh, lockdown. And when all the cities all of a sudden opened up, a lot more people died from infection and from the the shortage of medical assistance. So, you know, 2022 was definitely the year where a lot of people completely lost faith to to China's future. you know, from the capital's perspective, just give you uh, one example of how capital lost face in China's future is. Um, if you know TikTok, right? Uh, really strong, you know, advertisement revenue generator. Um, TikTok's mother company, ByteDance, uh, I think their revenue scaled as nearly approached to Meta, meaning mm-hmm. like uh, uh, ByteDance and Meta are, are like, Pretty much making the same revenue last year. Um, I mean, I mean this year. Sorry, this year, twenty twenty three. But uh, ByteDance only valued one fourth of what Meta's valuation is. Mm. So, you know, where is that? You know, three right. three fourth worth coming from. Uh, you know, lose right, to right, right. it's it's because people completely lost faith to to China due to this uh, geopolitical uncertainty. Um, and I've like for a fact I know many of my parents, friends, uh, many of my friends uh, left China just because they see uh, a, a dimmer reality in the future China when they when when after they see the government sort of implemented this extreme COVID uh, lockdown or like whatever measures it uh, was in China. Mm, yeah, I remember my because I have uh, family. Um, from China and they were in the beginning like very very supportive mm. I think compared from you know they were based in the US seeing like the US's response basically being nothing yeah 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 <laughs> uh, and then watching China them saying like why can't how is China able to do this and we're not yeah. able to do like basically anything um, so they were very supportive at, the, at that time and then towards the end I think it became uh, they thought it was too much I think it just I mean it is interesting that like China um, you know I don't know if you know much about like Nick Land or like mm. these kind of like hyper capitalist people who actually very, they they love China uh, because they think it is like the the place where capitalism will like uh, reach its peak. You know, mm. it will, it will go to its most extreme, um, especially like technologized capitalism. Yeah, uh, but it, so it is like a bit a bit. I mean, when you see the kind of like 
from what I understood, kind of like the, you have the phone app where if you were near someone else who potentially had COVID, then yeah, you know, you'd be locked in your in your you you're required to stay in your your apartment yeah. for for two weeks or something like right. that. Um, which that can feel it it feels very sci-fi Ta- dystopian, dystopian for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, one other thing is people lost faith in China. Because previously the Chinese leadership, let's say, is a very meritocracy-based sort of selection. You do have a very black-boxed political operation by the party, but the party or the black box, at least you know, like multiple people are in the black box making decisions, mm-hmm. you know, uh, collectively. And now this is just a one-man um, party, which is pretty scary. Yeah. How how do you, how how so? Like how how do you, how do you know that? Um, that? Yeah, it's just the, the very obvious truth about dictatorship, which I don't want to expand too much. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm scared. <laughs> so when it comes to um, is there is there something when it comes to cryptocurrency? What is it exactly that you think um, attracts? Uh, from the Chinese perspective, what what attracts people to it? Um, from a very, like as far as I know, people are attracted to cryptocurrency for its like potential of investment return. That's like what draws like a lot of people into cryptocurrency in China. Um, but for a fact, I know like a lot of um, idealistic. People like developers or programmers definitely start to build meaningful projects around Ethereum uh, when they learn about Ethereum operating as a decentralized world computer. Um, Is Ethereum kind of like the largest? I yeah, I think so. I think Ethereum ecosystem is the largest ecosystem, like no matter like anywhere, maybe in in China as well, um, that attracts the most talented developers. Mm. Uh, yeah, but the thing is, we we see uh, this grand exodus of uh, Chinese people leaving China and moving their capital and moving uh, their physical body to Southeast Asia, s- such as Singapore, such as Chiang Mai, Thailand, mm. uh, Bangkok, um, and this is happening. Is is uh, the new crypto rich and the 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 um, the the, the the crypto capital um along with um the human capital um start to like really flee from china and go to you know you know previously called nanyang which means the, you know chinese term that translates into south seas uh to to find like a, a safer haven uh to to survive yeah mm. Um, so, like right now, if you really go to um, go to Southeast Asia, you go to Singapore. There are a lot of um, Chinese investors, Chinese crypto investors, uh, in Singapore. That's why the biggest uh, crypto conference, Token 2020, uh, 2049, was held in in Singapore. And for a fact, I know, like you know, maybe more than half of the participants are uh, are, are people with with you know more or less Chinese backgrounds, um, and um, and then there are some native uh, crypto community uh, 
sort of initiated in in Thailand. Four uh, Cs, for example, is one community I know mm-hmm. where they want to purchase land and real estate in Chiang Mai uh, to establish um, a, a semi permanent crypto um, like crypto entity or uh, a crypto community uh, where. Chinese crypto people can come and go, uh, and some of them can live there constantly, like they live as like more like stationary thing. Um, and then there are GCC Global Chinese Community uh, is also sort of derived from uh, you know that group of people, and we see uh, Wamao, um, this uh, this group of crypto conference organizers, which also broadly they maybe refer to. Um, uh, maybe refer to a community with like maybe a thousand people ish. Uh, also, s- sort of you know moving from Dali, which is like a previously a crypto haven, to uh, to Thailand to Chiang Mai, um, and you know like many more like sort of Chinese diaspora community uh, started to do things in in Thailand, not not just crypto, like mm. some Chinese like journalist people. Went to Chiang Mai. Some Chinese LGBTQ people moved to Chiang Mai just simply because there's no enough space for them to thrive in mainland China. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Hi everyone. If you're enjoying this episode so far, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and join the crypto leftist communities on Discord or Reddit, which you can find links to in the show notes. If you're enjoying the episode or find the content I make important, you can pitch into my efforts starting at $3 a month on patreon.com slash the blockchain socialist to help me out and join the nearly 100 other patrons that contribute financially, which really helps since making this stuff isn't free in terms of money or time. As a patron, you'll get a shout out on an episode and access to bonus content like Q&A episodes where you can submit and vote on questions you'd like me to answer and I'll give my thoughts in roughly 20 minutes. The current bonus episodes have so far explored plenty of topics, including how co-ops and DAOs relate, whether there is a social blockchain, a review of previous crypto events I've been to, and recently a video reaction to an episode of The Deep Program. Of course, I'll still be making free content like this episode to help spread the message that blockchain doesn't need to be used to further entrench capitalist exploitation if we put our efforts into it. So if that message resonates with you, I hope you'll consider helping out. So so then crypto, does it kind of just represent... For a lot of them, just kind of like their ability to, um, I think when when you experience like wanting to leave a particular place, then you maybe have a slight trauma about like potentially needing to leave again and having some way of being Mm -hmm. able to have the things that you have or have the access to the, um, at least your capital, you're interested in crypto to be able to move it with you without needing to like have to deal with a new legal regime or mm. things like that. Is that kind of what you think like a big part of the the interest is coming from? Mm. In diaspora communities at least? You mean, can you, re- can you uh, rephrase the question again? I mean, basically that like you can, uh, crypto is interesting because you can leave, like if, if, if you have left a state because yeah. you don't, you are afraid or you don't like it, you feel very negative about it. Um, and there is some possibility of like having having things taken from you or you feel that you could have things taken from you. Um, having at least some amount of capital, which you can mm. use in a globalized, 
on, you know, in, on, in global capitalism, you at least have some amount of capital that you can take to another place mm. where then you can, you know, at least have, not have to start from zero. Right, right. Yeah, certainly. Um, crypto can definitely enable this uh, in, 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 in a sense, personal sovereignty and individual freedom. Especially when you are in this regime where you're like the like whatever like the space of freedom just getting more like narrow and narrow, um, and in terms of the Thailand case, um, there's a famous saying in China called "yong jiao tou piao," means use your feet to vote, and that happens sure. through the entire Chinese history. Um, is people left China and you know spread out somewhere else because they they voted their their fate mm. with their feet, right? Um, yeah, that, I mean that that's a saying in in, in English as English well. English as well, yeah. Um, yeah, the pull the pull forth and the the push forth, right? When you decide to move to a certain place, there's a push force from where you're from, and there's a pull force from the place, the new world you're immigrated to. Right, right. But it's a very, it's also, yeah, it is like whenever you have to exit. Uh, yeah, with that, with that phrase, I'm sometimes I'm like, is, I don't know if voting is the right word for it because it's sort of like exit. Mm. It's like less voice and more exit. Mm. Um, but I guess it's, it signals in some way at a, at a higher level mm. of view that mm. people want to leave this place and, and they're going to this other place for you know, X, Y, Z reason. Yeah, um. yeah. I think throughout the Chinese history, leaving China would always give people more agency in a sense. Uh, and just just refer back to the history of Xiananyang going to South Seas, right? People going to places like Singapore, uh, Thailand and Malaysia everywhere. It's, it's a, like a, it's a history not just to started in the early 2020s. Sure, sure. But this whole history of Chinese people moving to Southeast Asia happened like within the last two decades. I mean, sorry, last two centuries. Yeah. In, in, in the I mean, 19th the whole, the whole century. The reason that like Singapore didn't join Malaysia was because it was, there were too many Chinese and Malaysia yeah. didn't want Singapore. Exactly. Um, there are, you, you see like Chinese people like migrants to variety parts of the world throughout the entire that's why there's this famous saying called China is a process China is not a fixed state <laughs> I was talking yeah. to my friend yesterday in, in a table a during very, dinner yeah, time yeah. I said we're all carrying a piece of China and we're that process of China and um, and when you're immigrated into a new world it doesn't necessarily mean you cut off that tie with China, but you're still sort of using your using your front body to embrace the new world, but also on your back, your China is like still witnessing you, and mm. you're just a continuous process of China. Like I am China, I'm a hard fork of China <laughs> in a sense. Um, so yeah, China is a process, and there are um, 18 million Chinese. Language Chinese speaking people yeah. living many many parts of the world mm -hmm. from places like Singapore, Malaysia, you know, Hong Kong, Taiwan, who has been like 
uh, physical places that being like uh, embracing and welcoming Chinese ing- immigrants uh, the past many many years, but places like you know California where I live and New York, New York uh, where many of my friends live um, have a lot of uh, you know Chinese immigrants. Um, so yeah, China is is a process. Uh, indeed, and yeah, I can definitely see the process twenty four seven. Yeah, interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, I I, I resonate a lot with that. I think it's it's very like, um, uh, I mean, whatever. I, I don't mean to be like stereotypical, but it's like it seems like a very like Eastern perspective about these things. Whereas I think in the West we have a lot of, um, we have like the Platonic ideal is like very um, prevalent in the West, where there is like a still mm. image of mm. what is something, mm. whether that be, I mean, America or Europe or whatever else, when really all these things are constantly changing and going through a process of evolution for like whatever, like the modern time is. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I resonate with that because I mean, my family is also immigrants. So like, and, but if, I mean, when I think about the immigrant uh, uh, story, especially in America, mm. a lot of it oftentimes includes like uh, removing or detaching mm. your connection to the previous place that you were, that you are no longer, you're no longer Mexican, you are American. Mm. Like, and there's a, I think there's like a, a tendency for people either who immigrate, immigrate or who are, who are children of immigrants to like hate that side of them or to hate right. the the place that they come from. They don't want to identify with it because of, um, I don't know, either like uh, racist associations with it in the country or, or things like that. Um, but it is like a fact. It is true that like you're intrinsically, there is a connection between you and uh, where you come from. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think in, in, the, in, the, in the case of China though, from at least the the bit of history that I understand and that I've been shared with by a lot of people is that China has a huge history of revolution. Yeah. Of like constant revolution and constant. And therefore a lot of these waves of people leaving China come from potentially like either the losing side of a revolution or um, whatever else. And so they had to, they had to leave to places around, which is, I mean, you can argue is the case for like many different nationalities of, of people or, and diasporas are just like from internal conflict that then like spills over. Yeah, um, I think for me, um, like, like often I lived in Southern California for a long time, and just observing the the Chinese community um, gives me a lot of like perspectives on the history of Chinese Im- immigrants. Mm. You know, you, you entered Los Angeles Chinatown, that's the immigrants, you know, uh, moved to the US in like the 19th century, early 20th century. And then you you, you go to uh, new cities like Roland Heights. Um, there, there are a lot of immigrants moved to, uh, to those cities in, uh, you, you know, like in the 1980s. Right, uh, when China opened up its economy, um, 
uh, and and open up to the Western world. And after the Cultural Revolution, people uh, can get educated in 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 the U.S. So like a a batch of uh, Chinese immigrants uh, moved to the U.S. to get educated, and, and then like and then so forth, forge like some local communities um, in 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 uh, places like Roland Heights in Arcadia and the Saint Gabriel Valley, mm-hmm. um, and then. Fast forward, we're, uh, we're in the early, uh, 21st century where China sort of, uh, uh, completely opened up its economy and there's like a new class of rich Chinese people, uh, who would buy properties, who would buy, uh, you know, uh, luxury houses in, in, in Irvine, mm-hmm. um, and in Newport Beach, you know, the adjacent area. And those are the people who, who, you know, who are, you know, made themselves in China. But wanted to give their um, uh, their children a better future, a better education in the U.S. And of, of course, uh, it, you know, U.S. is like a, a favorable uh, destination for immigration for many Chinese people. Uh, and then you 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 see an entire new landscape of of Irvine, places like Irvine, uh, where. Uh, the 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 four die the second generation of Chinese people would hang out, uh, like in, in Irvine. So you know just. The, the 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 hour drive in Southern California will give you like you will walk through the the entire uh, modern Chinese history. Uh, yeah. like different generations, different generations with of- with different generations of capitals accumulated through different stage of China. Mm. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I yeah, it was interesting. I I went where when I went to university, there were a lot of very wealthy. Uh, Chinese international students <laughs> yeah. who came and yeah. it was interesting hearing their perspective yeah. a lot of them yeah and then I actually come I can um, not not necessarily just introduce you with uh, you know what my co-host of that decentralized social day Guo uh, right. what, what he was doing is he f- co-founded uh, this writing platform called Matters.Town. Matters.Town is this uh, IPFS-based Chinese language writing platform uh, serves the Chinese population who are no longer in China but still need a, a place to exchange ideas, to write, to to sort of read content. Um, j- j- simply because WeChat is really, really censored. Mm. Um, many, many uh, social media platforms in China are heavily censored and, and, and you can't really get satisfactory um, uh, content from those platforms. So Matters is not necessarily uh, an Ethereum or a Web3 project, uh, but it is a project that supports uh, anti-censorship mechanism, supports uh, decentralization, uh, meaning whoever, like if you write on matters.town, you don't necessarily need to worry about your content banned um, right. from that platform. Um, and since uh, the since 2002, um, uh, since 2022, you can log in, uh, not just with your email, but also with your Ethereum wallet. Uh, mm. So I see you know, matters.town as a, a very promising use case of Ethereum, of crypto, um, of decentralization. And I think it really speaks to um, my desire of uh, of getting involved in, in crypto. Um, yeah, so it's not a crypto native platform like Miro. Uh, um, it's... Uh, the content is not even on chain because it's not necessary, right? Um, 
but it, it's it, it indeed connected a lot of Chinese writing community among users who are in mainland China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and gave them. It's it's a really rare right now mm. um, that you know users from mainland China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and you know users from Singapore, Malaysia, or you know people live in West Coast can access to. Uh, to a, a single platform and write exchange ideas freely um, in and Mandarin the, in Mandarin yeah. in Mandarin Chinese and the co-founder Guo and Jieping uh, are you know really um, people who I respect deeply um, and especially Jieping she's a experienced journalist who lived in Hong Kong for 10 years and now lives in Taiwan um, mm. as a like independent journalist yeah yeah um I wanted to ask as well. Um, I think, based you know, based on your experiences in the crypto world so far, are there any like um, uh, Western biases that you see in this space that you think uh, a light should be shed on, or that you want to uh, uh, to take note of? Um, in terms of talking about Western biases, I want to talk about the surviving situation for Chinese entrepreneurs. So previously in tech, there's this word called chuhai. Chuhai means going overseas. It is a term refers to people like uh, the founder Zhang Yiming who want to expand TikTok overseas. This previously was just a, a feel-good strategy or good-to-have kind of strategy for many Chinese uh, tech people. But now, especially not just Chinese tech, but Chinese crypto tech, chuhai became a necessity. But how to chuhai? Chuhai means you you not you not only need to provide really robust tech uh, product or infrastructure for users, but you need to learn the users. You need to learn about the context. So I see many many Chinese tech builders, not only in Ethereum but like Chinese tech builders in general, felt this tremendous frustration because they simply cannot contextualize the Western users needs mm. um, and this contextual uh, gap became their biggest weaknesses so I, I've seen but do you think that's the same vice versa as well that's not necessarily a, par- a very uh, balanced vice versa mm. is there's no space there's no Chinese users let's say in, in crypto and there's only crypto users in in the Western world, if that makes sense. So I've definitely seen like this one Ethereum builder who is frustrated because he says, um, he says, oh, I'm doing something really similar to EN- what ENS is doing, and my team can probably finish all the ENS coding within two weeks. But why my project is not as as legitimate or as gaining as much traction mm. as like ENS does in the space is simply because we don't know how to align ourselves with Ethereum. And aligning ourselves with Ethereum means we need to contextualize, contextualize ourselves with their ideology, their lingual, their culture, and mm. whatever, you know, the Ethereum mainstream is. And of course, you know, aligning with Ethereum became an inner joke among many developers simply because <laughs> Alani Ethereum became some sort of co- political correctness. But, you know, this speaks to greater frustration to uh, to builders, like especially Chinese builders, who, first of all, they're facing a big language barrier. 
Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of Western biases, um, it's not necessarily bias, but it's like more like a Western ideology domination, which can be really translated to Chinese community, and this sort of domination is really um, unwelcoming to mm. Chinese language speakers, which could pose a greater threat to the healthy development of Ethereum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I when I think of all of the biggest projects in the crypto world, I only think of really projects by either people who are, I mean, they're largely based in the West, so it's globalized, but um, people who are from Western countries, from Europe or from the US. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not really aware of any like, or maybe I can, if I think a little bit more, but I'm not aware of too many like big uh, Chinese crypto projects mm-hmm. besides maybe these centralized exchanges. Right, 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 right. So I'm pretty sure there are enough talents want to build things. There are enough uh, tenacity and enthusiasm of, you know, smart enough developers want to build things. It just, just, uh, just too high, like in the, in the ideological sense is challenging. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And language is a big part of it. I think like, yeah, if you can't, if you can't write to your audience as well, it's, it's quite difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely seen products with their description, um, contains like some grammatical, like grandma arrows mm-hmm. that would completely just throw people off right and that's yeah. really I mean I would if I if I read a website with like a big if, yeah. with some sort of grammatical error then I'm like it's a, it's a red flag just right. because I I'm you know it, it, crypto is also like a a dangerous world where if something is spelled wrong and like that's enough reason for me to like think that maybe you're stealing my money <laughs> true yeah yeah because if something happens and I can't reverse it, oh, you're maybe in like another country or you can't even speak, if you can't speak my language necessarily or, you know, I don't know if you can. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, tough. it's, it's a tough problem. It's a tough problem. Mm-hmm. Um, where just not only like maybe ideology wise or like, you know, not just like, putting up a decent marketing material, but like just ideology wise, mm-hmm. I also see a very big challenge of like really aligning Chinese developers into mm. Ethereum. I would think that Chinese developers would also be, there might be certain uh, practices or like they're using it for different things than like maybe the Western developer is using it for. Or like the things that they are interested in building would be yeah, different. Very different. Yeah. And their motivations are also different as well. And to be tested, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, so in a sense I often question myself, like, am I being washed <laughs> to to only trust certain narrative but not the others? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, but like just statistically speaking, you're more likely to get into like fishing or traps in like the non-English environment. 
Right. But yeah, Josh, you should remove this part. <laughs> um, this is me, like my PC um, police is uh, coming after me. <laughs> no, but I mean, look, I think it's it's not surprising. I think the West has created this situation and the world where yeah, true. You know, very people from other countries like I I mean I have I don't want my money stolen but like I'm not going to like I don't know spend all my time like uh I don't know bad talking people in poorer countries trying to yeah. <laughs> make their money whenever like they're in a, they're like a you know they were colonized by the west anyways where all their wealth was stolen so like yeah. they're just trying to steal some back <laughs> <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's totally, a, man. Just it's a fact. <laughs> it's, it's a fact. It's a fact. It's just I feel like it's really hard to talk about colonialism when we're talking about money and innovation. It's just mm. it's 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 like fundamentally related. Yeah, like why a lot of Chinese entrepreneurs are not doing well in English crypto world. You know, one is because of the mis whatever the misfortunes happen in China. But like the root cause is really colonialism. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the root cause. Uh, yeah, I mean, like why China, as a strong country, cannot collaborate friendly with the West? Right. Because it, the the dirty, brutal hundred years of humiliation of China. Like how, if I were the Chinese leadership, I would probably be absolutely suspicious about having a full. Hundred percent open up to of course to yeah. the West definitely yeah yeah I mean, it, yeah China was a essentially a British colony for a long time uh, yeah I recommend people to look up the Opium Wars if you want to see like how brutal like the the treating of uh, of Chinese people by by the British for a long time just for a small thing um, and yeah so it is I think there's I think this like geopolitical reality is oftentimes missed when we're talking about like China and the West that like there's already this huge history that has happened and there are already sort of like um, like flags planted in the ground by the West in many ways in places that don't allow for like I think m much of the sort of ways that you know may be seen as like uh, authoritarianisms in certain ways are kind of like reactions to a very difficult geopolitical situation where America has enjoyed its hegemony for the past mm -hmm. 70 years after the after World War II mm. and capitalism has done its thing where uh, basically money from the US wealthy people have gone to other countries yeah. and used China as a place for cheap labor for a long time yeah. now China has a bunch of their wealth and now they want to not like uh, have their wealth leave the country so now like it's like this uh, mm, I see it just like a horrific you know like cycle of violence that like um, we haven't been able to just like acknowledge and like we take think about that root problem as like the thing that we should be tackling, and instead we like just um, we tend to just revert back to our nationalisms to like blame you know the other that they're doing that, and look how horrific they are and now, and like never sort of like look internally at what we've done. Yeah, yeah, true. My comment is I agree with <laughs> everything you just said. 
All right. Um, so we're we're coming up on the hour. Um, maybe one last thing. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, Zuzalu and ZooConnect since you were at both of them and you've organized a little bit of it? Uh, ZooConnect was quite different than Zuzalu. It was in Istanbul in the middle of the city, whereas Zuzalu was at a a bit of a bubble in in Montenegro on a bay in a five star resort. Um, but yeah, do you want to talk about kind of like the what were the the differences between these two events and maybe some of the learnings that you took into to ZooConnect? Yeah. Disclaimer: I love Zuzalu. <laughs> okay, you just uh, just because I um, I I do. Uh, like this experiment of innovation cross pollination, and I do want to be looped in. So, uh, 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 in terms of like the criticism part, um, I have some, um, and I've been like talking to my friends about uh, 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 about uh, you know like my my criticism criticism uh, against Zuzalu, uh, but just uh, from a very genuine level, I think Zuzalu is. A very interesting venue and arena to put different people together to at least acknowledge each other. Like previously, before knowing about Zuzalu, I do not know uh, there's a cohort of longevity people who are passionate about a lot, a lot of things that Josh and I talk about, um, right. such as not die, right? Um, um, and then I did not know there are just like uh, uh, a whole group of people who are. Uh, who are you know use very very different approach to build something that could close to Balaji's notion of network states you know building different communities across the world and before Azuzalu I did not know uh, some very interesting DSI people who are doing you know um, uh, uh, you know bio- biology or like whatever science research based on Ethereum um, so it was really, really eye-opening to me, and in in a sense, life-changing, because just simply, I have absorbed um, a lot of information and made a lot of new connections. Uh, and yeah, uh, Zuzalu version one uh, was the iPhone four. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, in a sense, um, what happened the the classic Zuzalu version. Uh, happen in Montenegro as a two-month sort of pop-up community style uh, where, yes, it's happened in an exclusive resort uh, with uh, 200 uh, people invited by the uh, quote-unquote Zuzalu core team at the time um, and then adding on uh, the visitors and the short-term uh, residents I think the first Zuzalu, there are like 700 to 800 people mm-hmm. uh, visited uh, uh, Lustisha, which was the uh, resort. Uh, and yeah, the ZooConnect experience is shorter. Um, it's, a, uh, it's like a, a capsulated version of Zuzalu 1. Uh, it was only uh, two weeks. Uh, but within those two weeks, it's essentially um, have a lot of similar uh uh, com- component of the first Zuzalu where people can eat breakfast together, people can co-work together, people can do co-plunge together, um, and people can um, you know, just, again, like variety of people were being sort of converged into the same space. Um, and, you know, there are different theme days. You know, one day would people would be talking about 
AI and art. One day people will talk about network states. One one day people will talk about uh, decentralized science and, uh, and 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 biology. And and one day we we'll talk about that, you know decentralized social. And that's uh, you know the day I was curating. Um, I think it's my first time um, encountering. The complexity of governing a plural plural mm. community. Mm. What I mean by plural, we're talking about this community is consisted of um, really really nerdy and smart um, and in depth. For example, Ethereum Foundation researchers and zk researchers. Um, there, this is a community where uh, people been practicing and um, been organizing network states. Um, you know, they flew in. I'm talking about a, a community where a lot of, you know, Chinese public goods people uh, would come who live in Chiang Mai. Um, I'm talking about um, really uh, young, like 19-year-old, 20-year-old uh, Web3 hackers, DJs. Um, this plural community composed a very smaller fracture of either friend groups or conversations and they somehow like weirdly coexist mm -hmm. and somehow like even harmoniously. So I, I definitely see some like a really weird person to person friendship. I was like, oh, how the hell, you know, <laughs> this person, that person can become good friends. But, you know, this just happened in Zuzalu and this is the magic about Zuzalu. Mm. And... Um, and I was also talking to uh, Janine, one of the main organizers. So I said I was so worried that the first the first Zalos magic would disappear in Istanbul because Istanbul is essentially a very overwhelming big city. Like, what if people's passion and people's connection got diffused by the the setting of Istanbul, given how many things are happening every day. Um, but and later, uh, the last day of Zoo Connect, I told Janine, I said, um, I can put my, my, my worry away. I'm at ease right now because the magic didn't, didn't go anywhere. And the magic was being carried by, by whoever, the people, the, the people who are attending uh, Zoo Zalu or Zoo Connect. And I, I, for myself, I, I indeed enjoyed uh, being... Um, being a contributor, being one of the organizers of Zoo Connect, and um, I was also happy. Like a lot of people, especially newer ones, uh, new participants see me as their like core experience of Zuzalu and see me as some, some embodiment of Zuzalu. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm really happy. Like I can be the proxy of Zuzalu to many communities who not who didn't get to participate the first one. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd say as someone who attended basically the ending of both of them. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I really, what I enjoy the most out of things is that it does provide a space to converse in a very open-minded mm. kind of uh, space and, and community of people. Like I have been honestly very, very surprised to the amount of people who have either listened to my podcast or... Um, whatever I get, I get a lot of like, oh, I follow you on Twitter. I like your tweets. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thanks, man. <laughs> um, so I've been very surprised by that uh, to see how much kind of like my content has been able to reach people who are in uh, these types of uh, crypto circles already. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Um, one example would be uh, in the first Zalu, There's a whole week dedicated to 
the largest side of、um, network states, where I see is like the darker side of <laughs> <laughs> network states, where you know, like just going into dome, which is a main conference place,、mm-hmm. um, you can see the.、Uh, Like ninety nine percent of the network state organizers or network state network state speakers are male, or、mm. more so to speak, white male.、Uh, but later we got the Primavera came and she had the mission of overthrowing network states, right? O T O T N S O T N S. Okay, yeah, O T N S. And um and uh her narrative of. Uh, you know, waving、uh, the communities together、uh, of having you know, coining the concept of coordination also became a very essential part of my Zuzal experience, right?、Mm. So I see those two uh, uh, clans or tribes uh, existed um, in the community at a different time, but they're all essential to this community. I think this is、uh, really important to me. So I, I hope to see this pluralism、uh, going forward and being carried forward by by Zuzalu, yeah. And I think that's the charm, yeah. And I do want to see、uh, Primavera and Balaji be in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and no, I buy popcorn. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I would. I think one of the things. I, I would. I mean, I'm totally open to debating.、Uh, <laughs> the Balaji. I think he's just kind of.、Uh, he hasn't yet.、Um, I think had the courage to、mm-hmm. to acknowledge us and the criticisms. Yeah. So, yeah. So we generally invite. <laughs>、uh, we generally invite Josh and Balaji to join the next <laughs> Zalo and. <laughs> I w- I w- if you invite me to debate him, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Balaji. <laughs> DM, DM, DM. Slide into Balaji's DM. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Afa, for coming on.、Um, is there any last things you would like to plug for people、um, before we end it, or or just tell kids to stay off the internet? Don't don't get addicted to their phones and screens. Yeah, one. I think two things. One is, uh, yeah, TikTok is bad.、Uh, a second is, um. Second is,、um, I I I hope I can. I can see myself as a reminder of a lot of pe- people's mission in terms of in terms of joining crypto, or a lot of people's idealistic mission of joining crypto. Like for me, joining crypto, I was really drawn by the lofty pie in the sky idea of crypto can enable. Enhance people's agency. Crypto can、um, can help the、um, information flow better、uh, with decentralized technology, and I think this is a constant practice. Like this is some mantra you just have to tell yourself every every morning. Like why you join the space is not because of、uh, you know. Monkey festival or or, or dog <laughs> coins is because this space has、um, beautiful ideas、um, and beautiful builders, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 those beautiful ideas and beautiful builders、um, can hopefully、uh, make this space more beautiful in the future. <laughs> Sorry if we give you a very uh, 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 a halo like ending, but. Um, but I, yeah, I, I want to like return back to my like intention of why I'm here. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for inviting me.
Thank you.